Special emissary Kaler, personal log. Well, fit my sticks and goose my flesh. If I just didn't run into a blast from the old past in the form of my almost ex-lover, Worf. You could have tied me up, tied me down, and called me your old Aunt Sue. But there he was in the flesh. Almost makes me forget being transported aboard a glorified coffin. Ha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. <laughs> Welcome to Reengage, the weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of Gen X adults returning to the series we loved as kids to see how it holds up. So get a good calisthenics program and let's re-engage. Welcome, one and all, to this re-engage of the episode, The Emissary. Yes. Uh, air date, June 26th, 1989. We'll go around the horn and say hi to everyone as they tell us about their little bit of the world. Greg, what was happening? First of all, how are you, friend? I'm doing very good. Thank you, Kate. Uh, excited to uh, get up this real big sneak peek into Worf's Love life. Yes, it's yes. Kind of fun. And do you want me to? I can go right into the history. You want me to talk about it? Yeah. Tell us what was happening in the world. So on June twenty fourth, two days before this episode aired, uh, I'm going to mangle this name, but Jiang Zemin was appointed the general secretary of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of China, uh, and he is going to be a big part, uh, or he was a big part, but a continuing leader of China. For the next like two decades, big deal there. June 25th, which is actually my birthday. So this is when I turned 11 years old. I did not uh, wake up to a magical, fantastical future like in uh, my favorite book, The Dark is Rising. But there was a US postmark. This is the first time a stamp. Everyone talks about like when they make a com commemorative stamp in 1989, which was a big deal. But this one was the first that was dedicated to the lesbian and gay pride uh, movement, I guess you, I would say, um, and memorializing the Stonewall uh, moment as being a big part of that. And so it seems like this was, as we're seeing the beginning of the uh, pride movement going to more um, uh, acceptance of, of all types of sexuality. So this is really cool that we get to see this. Less cool is on June 26th, the actual day this aired, the Supreme Court our friend uh, Antonin Scalia wrote the majority opinion on this uh, and said that- Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Uh, that it's okay for states to uh, give the death penalty to 16 and 17 year olds for murder. So uh, I remember the death penalty being uh, like a big ticket item that was talked about in every debate and it was on all the news shows and uh, we've moved on from, from that talk, but- uh, I don't know if this was ever reversed. I don't know if it is. It is. Uh, it's still okay to give the death penalty to 16 and 17 year olds in some states because of this day. Wow! <laughs> Fuck that guy. Progress? Question mark. Uh... <laughs> Oklahoma is right now fighting to continue doing executions when they have botched their last three. Oh God! Two of their last three, they have literally used the wrong drugs, and they're still doing it. So, uh, yay that, that we as a country, you're right, Greg, I don't read about it very much. It's, it's just not out there. Yeah. I think, uh, it was the last funny thing Dennis Miller ever said <laughs> was, so you are pro-life and pro-death penalty. So I guess it's all in the timing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when he was funny. I remember that. that. 
It was in 1989, I think. <laughs> well, even then, he was virulently anti-Muslim and anti-Arab. Fuck that guy. Well, in the pop culture world, uh, number one on the music charts was Satisfied by Richard Marks. Mm. Don't you know? I won't give up until I'm satisfied. That's all I remember of the song. I didn't remember it until you said satisfied. (laughs) (laughs) But now I feel like I remember it. Glad I could be there for you. Thank you. Uh, The number one movie was Batman. Yes. Uh, For our younger viewers, there have been many, many Batmans. And this was the first of the Batman Michael Keaton and it was a Tim Burton uh, joint, uh, which was like, I remember this being like a big swing. Like everyone was like, I don't know if this is going to be popular. And then it just, this, this marketing machine uh, came behind it. Everybody had those shirts, the black t-shirts with the yellow Batman outline on it. Prince did the whole soundtrack. And it's a good movie. It was a Prince album. Well, and don't forget Jack Nicholson had just won, you know, his second Oscar and was, you know, still one of the top draws at the box office too. So like the whole thing was, and and Kim Basinger too, like star power out the huge. wazoo. Yeah. Billy D. Williams is the mayor. I mean, come on. Come on. Or no, wait, he was actually the DA. No, he's, he's Harvey Dent. He's Harvey Dent. Yeah. That's right. He would have been toothpaste in another world. That would have been amazing. <laughs> Uh, and in the land of TV, uh, that year, Susan Lucci lost the Daytime Emmy for the 10th straight year. Uh, I remember the Lucci curse. Uh, mm-hmm. She would go on to finally win in May of 1989, or sorry, 1999, <laughs> uh, on her 19th nomination. Oh, Susan Lucci, can't she get a break? The daytime Emmys was such a big deal in my house for that reason. And we like followed like the Lucci uh, debacle. She never got Seems an award. To me she got 19 breaks at least. It is an honor just to be nominated. Yeah, you've already As won. everyone always says. You're, all, you're already well, I mean, when you get to that level, I sure as shit hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this story for our the emissary was by one Thomas H. Calder. Uh, the one and only writing credit that he has. I couldn't mm. find out anything else about our mystery. I'd like to imagine it was like early fan fiction um, or slash fic that uh, maybe just got left on a subway and they were able to contact him and be like, you mind if we want this off? Uh, teleplay by Richard Manning and Hans Beimer. Beamer. Uh, directed by Cliff Bowl, all of these names we have run into in the past. Jimmy, tell us, first of all, how you are, and second of all, what was happening behind the scenes? Uh, I'm doing well, Miss Kate. Thank you for asking. Uh, only two real fun uh, tidbits. Uh, one, the, uh, uh, I forget how you pronounce it, the Takong, the Takong. Klingon ship that we see is actually recycled from Star Trek 1, the first movie. Uh, and the probe, the Class 8 probe, was it, that uh, our our guest star shows up in is none other than Spock's uh, converted photon torpedo shell uh, seen in Star Trek 2 oh. and 3. Right? Wow. So this is, this is like a momentous torpedo tube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of history. 
A lot of things have been in that tube, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Talking about smashing. His name's Alexander. <laughs> wow. Uh, and of course, we have um, some guest stars of note. And I have a friend of note named Eric Gratton. Hi, Eric. How are you? I know that guy. He's a hack. Um <laughs> I'm doing okay. It's really good to see all three of you again. Here's the thing. We have a lot of great guest stars. We've already talked about Susie Plaxon, the great Susie Plaxon, who plays Kalar. But this is such an iconic role, and she comes back once again later. I want to talk a little bit about her again. We didn't discuss last time that she was a regular on Love and War with Jay Thomas and Annie Potts and Joanna Gleason. I loved that show while it was on. Uh, and then it wasn't on anymore, and I forgot all about it until today. <laughs> she did a ton of voices on dinosaurs which we had talked about it the best series ending episode of all time uh she was judy the matriarch on the erickson family that raised young marshall on how i met your mother and she of course is extraordinarily memorable as lady q on voyager mm. uh but this role in particular and we will talk about her tons just terrific she was so then from there we move on to lance legault who we see in this one as Katimok, of course, uh, the leader of the Klingons that we see in the uh, the ship that uh, Jimmy cannot actually. Kung. Yes, thank you. He's he does a ton of voiceover stuff all through his entire career, uh, and he's probably best known as the evil Colonel uh, Roderick Decker in the '80s television series The A Team that I know we are all very close with Decker. to the extent that it can be said to have a through line villain he was it uh, and that's certainly where it comes up most for me but he started out working a ton on elvis presley flicks he was a stunt double for elvis presley in girls oh. girls girls kissing cousins and viva las vegas that's pretty cool all right um of course he was also in the uh television special elvis uh, the 68 comeback special where he sat on the side of the stage playing a tambourine so a uh, nice big connection to mr elvis presley he was recurring on magnum pi he was <laughs> in a short-lived series called werewolf in 1987 that i'll be tracking down as much as i possibly could he's in the kenny rogers original movie the gambler um, he is in Dynasty recurring, uh, Knight Rider in the pilot. The guy worked, right? Um, he was in uh, the Stripes, right, as the other gravelly-voiced colonel that, that made him famous. Uh, he did tons of the things that we know best, uh, people our age, MacGyver, Simon & Simon, Sledgehammer, which I always have to mention when it's brought up, uh, Renegade, Crusade, Tales of the Golden Monkey, another fantastic one. Dukes of Hazard, Buck Rogers in the 25th century, Wonder Woman, and the Incredible Hulk. So really, really terrific career he had there. But let's move on from him to the amazing Anne Ramsey, Elizabeth Ann Ramsey, though, not the Anne, or Anne Elizabeth Ramsey, not the Anne Ramsey that you are thinking of, Jimmy, who I also love and wish had been in this episode, but was not. Uh, Anne Elizabeth Ramsey is best known, of course, for playing Lisa on Mad About You, uh, she was oh. nominated for a bunch of awards all throughout that run. Never won. Uh, she had a turret. Never won. <laughs> she had a. Uh, she did win a uh, Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Ensemble. Oh, excuse me. I know. Just a nomination there too. Apologies <laughs> there, uh, <laughs> Anne Elizabeth Ramsey. 
But you were in such fantastic films as Class Action, A League of Their Own. Oh, wow. Planet of the Apes, that ill-fated 2001 Tim Burton non-masterpiece. Uh, but Woman on Top, Heart of the Beholder, uh, Wild About Harry, and has currently been in such great ones as Bombshell and Violet. And let's talk about the 80s television credits she has here. Right around this time, she was also in Mr. Belvedere, Hunter, Dr. Doctor, which I will always love, Mad About You, of course, uh, as well as the recent uh, Mad About You revival, Chicago Hope, Dharma and Greg, CSI, Without a Trace, Six Feet Under, Keeps Going, House, Dexter, Castle, Hawthorne, she was uh, recurring, Heart of Dixie, she was recurring, and now she's on a very new, as in September, series called Ordinary Joe on, I believe, ABC, maybe NBC. Could be CBS or Fox. NBC. Thank you, Kate. Um, So from there, uh, we get a little crazy. Let's get crazy. We go, let's get crazy. We go to Admiral Gromack, uh, who is George Ann Johnson, who had a terrific stage career. Uh, with six Broadway shows, including Room Service with Jack Lemmon and her future husband, who was uh, actor and director and blacklist victim, Stanley Prager, who uh, really had an incredible career of his own. But she was in Midnight Cowboy, The Front, The Day After. She played Dr. Quinn's mom. Incredible career. Read up on her. And then we need to talk about the the actor who played Tactical Officer. Yeah. Uh, would you like to do that with me, everybody? This is a little-known uh, whippersnapper named Diedrich Bader, Bader, who, I don't know about y'all, but when he just showed up on screen, I mean, it's, he hasn't changed in 30 years. Like, he still has that enormous forehead and the, the chin that goes on for days, and you just kind of go, oh, what's Diedrich Bader doing on my TV show? I pointed and, and, and said his name out loud. I'm like, oh, my God, that's um, that guy from American Housewife. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh that's his name. <laughs> that's it. Well, so that brings it up. Let's go around and say, what what do you most remember Diedrich Bader? He's been in so many different things, but that's the one that was top of mind. And he's got the character is my name as well. So that, oh, right, well, that, that, that makes sense that it would bring it right to you. What about you, Jimmy? What comes first? Uh, I really love this work on Phineas and Ferb. Oh, fantastic. Yay. What about you, Kate? He's always just the doofy dude. Uh, he is. But, uh, his work with uh, Drew Carey. Mm. Yeah, the Drew Carey show. He's so fantastic in that. And that's the first thing I think of. And then I go straight to the neighbor in Office Space. Office Space? Oh, yes. oh that guy too. Yeah. Yeah. Diedrich Bader also, I believe, uh, didn't he play... Yes, he did. He played uh, Jethro. Remember, I always come back to that one as well. Jethro in the Beverly Hillbillies. Yes, that's right. Oh, um, that remake. He's, yes. He's also fantastic, of course, in Napoleon Dynamite as the karate teacher and uh, Veep as one of the uh, amoral, terrible uh, campaign managers that seem to be on a treadmill through that one. Yeah. Really, really wonderful. His uh, parents were Greta Bader, who was a sculptor, and uh, William B. Bader, who was a political activist and foundation executive. His patrilineal great-grandfather was Edward <laughs> L. Bader, the mayor of Atlantic City, New Jersey. Um, so this guy Welcome comes from... Welcome to our from... new 
podcastancestry.com. It just makes me laugh. These 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 places actors come from are just amazing to me. All right. None of those uh professions though would have had the uh the the the, the way to address them as a master because then that would be a perfect name. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, I'm sure none of them heard that growing up. Never. And Never. we will all mention it to Diedrich should we ever encounter. <laughs> Thank you for thank you for your time. This has been Eric Gratton. Uh, I have missed you guys. <laughs> well, let's dig into our episode. Uh, our cold open starts with the classic TNG poker game. Uh, mm. I love a good poker game in TNG. Uh, we get uh, Data deciding whether he will uh, bend, as he says, or whether he's going to fold. Uh, <laughs> and Worf and Pulaski go head to head. She calls them handsome. And I think we have proof that those two smashed. That was it. I like it. Definite proof. I point. like it. Canon. Yeah. It's canon. It's a hundred percent like the way they just give each other that the eye after she calls him handsome and there's like a little bit of quiet in the room. I mean, everybody knows. Yeah. She had to leave the Enterprise at the end of this tour so she could have that huh. kind of baby. And now there's a really, really super grumpy Klingon half human out there. It's Alexander. Have yet to me. Um, also called Alexander for some strange reason. <laughs> I, I thought this scene was really amazing. Uh, the, they too. bet into each other in a very respectful way. Like they they both thought it was possible, maybe. Like it, it's it's really hard to tell, but it, they they played at each other very well as poker players in this scene. I love Jordy in this scene too. I feel like he's got the yeah. right attitude of like I'm gonna be smarmily making fun of my friends, but also, damn, he's not getting the cards. I don't know. I, feel, I, really, I really liked it. It felt very real and natural like they were playing. Well, and they were playing five-card studs, so how do you know? Like, you you have no idea what the other person could possibly have. So Pulaski had every right to think maybe she had a good hand with a, a straight, although she did have a really bad moment when she uh, is trying to make fun of Will, and she says... Uh, are you getting cold feet? And she actually looked down at his feet before she says the line. <laughs> Did you wash your feet? Did you have to make sure before you came, you washed the feet of all the ladies before you came? I've out? seen cartoons. Cold feet are blue. She was looking to see if he had Andorian feet. <laughs> She's a doctor. Of course, the most important part of this scene for the future is that Jordy calls out Worf uh, for bluffing, and we get the quintessential line, Klingons never bluff, which I bet we won't revisit later. That doesn't feel important. Impossible. <laughs> they don't faint or bluff. Yeah, exactly. On a side note, I I really miss dealer's choice poker. Like I feel like every <laughs> poker game I've gone to in forever is, just has to be... Um, Texas Hold'em. Hold'em now. That's just that's just the, the zeitgeist, and that's what we have to live with. We'll remember that for the next time we Thank ante you. up. Uh, we, we receive an emergency signal. We go to the bridge, and the message says, go, but doesn't say why, which is a great mystery to take us right to the credits. When we, when we get from the credits, Starfleet Command calls and the Admiral tells them they will be meeting a special envoy and very much make sure that they have to be at that rendezvous on time. 
Uh, we learn throughout the course of this uh, scene that the envoy is, in fact, in a probe, which is like two meters big. Uh, and that they, they do this really cool sort of like, we'll get ahead of it and then let it come behind us and, and wrap around and then it we will let it glide up underneath us. And then we're going to catch it with a warp uh, or with a, with a, you know, with a beam. And then they bring the whole damn thing on board. I was surprised by that. Why did they just do that? Like, did they need to lock on to the energizing beam, the transporter? Like, why did they have to do the tractor beam at all? Yeah, that's a great question. My theory of the whole thing is that it wasn't under its own power. It was shot up to warp nine and just like is now coasting because there's nothing it's running into to slow it down. And they match speeds with it and just <laughs> use the tractor beam to match speeds and trajectory and just beam it at full speed warp nine <laughs> into the uh, transporter bay. And so that now that they're just both flying through the universe at warp nine and they can all slow down together. Boom. Boom. Done. Cannon. That's why they didn't have to slow down. Mm. Feels like that there should be a maneuver already named this. Like this the The Kalar maneuver. Yes. The, so the Living Daylights maneuver, because I always think about going in that oil tunnel at the beginning of the Living Daylights in one of those things. There you go. There you go. And they take off the top and there is Kalar who is the brassiest broad in the 24th century I've ever seen in my entire life. Whoever said getting there is half the fun. Hot to cha 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 I fucking love her. Uh, I live for it. I don't know why it is the way it is. I don't know. The, the director has been known to have said that he let her go too far, too broad. I disagree, good sir. So do I. I think you let her go just broad enough. Go farther. But I am just instantaneously transfixed by her. Uh, thought, thoughts on our first meeting of Kalar? I think of her as uh, the fast-talking career gal from uh, Hudsucker Proxy. Jennifer yes. Jason Lee kind of got that like staccato kind of feel. And you're right, it's immediately, as soon as she takes off that mask, she does that, I'd like to introduce myself as Kalar. And it's it's immediate, and I love the foil between the Iceman of, of uh, Worf, uh, which we'll get to. But it's such a great way to introduce the stoicism of Worf. Uh, in the cold open and then have this be his his match in this is uh it's really great i loved her performance yeah i'm I'm on the record i'm i'm a i'm a huge fan of hers and i think she's fantastic in this uh this was either right before or right after she did la bette on broadway uh mm. i i just i think she hits all the notes interestingly and chose a very weird <laughs> decision on how to make this personality and it really works well there's an interview with her that says that it wasn't until after she got the job that someone told her there was no winking in the 24th century. <laughs> That's like half of my arsenal. How can you right. take that away from me? <laughs> well, as soon as Worf sees her, uh, we can tell they know each other. Uh, and her first line to him is, I told you we'd meet again. And there, this great sort of back and forth repartee. But we find out that there is a ship on its way that still thinks the Klingons are at war with the Federation. Kalar indicates that she does not believe that diplomacy is going to be successful and that they will have to destroy this ship, which Picard says, we shall find another choice. Uh, what do we think of this um, conference room scene, starting with, uh, you know, Worf 
Worf's reintroduction, um, the, the finding out this information. I love the idea of people who have been asleep waking up into this new world and, and that, that race against time. I think it's a very cool conceit. It's okay, I guess. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, great. I love it. It's super sci-fi. Um, I love the setup that they gave and that the tension was there already uh, or apparent for everybody in the room with uh, Worf and Kalar. And, and uh, I wonder what, what Troy was thinking the whole time. <laughs> Because she just had to feel, feel the the tension between both of them and you know that excitement. I love the idea of there being a ship that's like trapped in time, right? We've used that a couple of times. And uh, uh, I like this whole idea of it as well. The tension is there. I wish, you know, what I like about it too is also the contrast that she's supposed to be the special envoy. She's supposed to be the diplomat here. And she's the one who says, well, we got we to gotta shoot him as soon as you see him. And it's, it's a nice contrast to his, you know, it'd usually be the the protagonists of your story who are the the action go-getters and it's Picard and his crew who are going to be like, no, we're going to find a peaceful way out of this. She's very fast to say, like, and, you know, if that doesn't work, then fucking kill them all. <laughs> you got big phasers. <laughs> uh, at the end of this scene, Worf is assigned to help her. The look on his face mm. is worth the entire episode, if even if you just walk, watch up into that moment. Uh, and he tells Picard he doesn't want this assignment. And Picard sort of says, too bad for you. No, I love what he said. Is it personal? Yes. Is there any professional reason you can't do it? No answer. And then he just simply says, I withdraw by request. Yes. <laughs> and it it's a funny line, but it's also, a, I was thinking as Picard left, he's like, man, he's a hard ass. Like, I don't know if I'd have the gumption to when I know a colleague and maybe kind of a friend is having a hard time not to be like, Oh no, I get it. I get it. You're, you need to deal. And he's like, no, you can't deal. Like this is your job. Go do your job and don't let your personal feelings get in the way, buddy. That's why you're in Starfleet. Yeah. HR, uh, the, the current methods of, of uh, conflict resolution yes, uh, yes. are not are not really in Picard's wheelhouse. He, <laughs> he's he's a very stern daddy who <laughs> who will learn you your lessons. Yeah. When he was walking away, I was like, "Ooh, the millennial would be like, that's that fear. My personal feelings <laughs> and my professional feelings are one and the same, and you have to respect both." And, and they're uh, right. <laughs> They're kind of right and wrong. <laughs> but maybe it's even more of a fa the subtle father figure thing where he's like, no, I know this is a sore spot for you. You have trouble opening up with anybody else on this ship except for Riker. Like maybe you'll open up if you get and to talk Pulaski. to this. And Pulaski, which boy, he doesn't know about yet. <laughs> that would be inappropriate. A lot of opening up. Uh, so, I, yeah, I wonder if it's one of those like, you know, you should be exploring this avenue. Yes, which is none of his fucking business, I would turn to him and say, because I have problems with authority. <laughs> like, That's why we're not in Starfleet, Eric. That's fucking right. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, you're right. I should I should do that on my own time and my own schedule. Thank you, Captain. <laughs> I'm taking a sick day now. going to go see Pulaski. <laughs> <laughs> in the hallway we have some uh some lady talk troy and kalar uh both reveal they each have a human parent 
which makes them um, besties. And we find that the Klingon side, uh, she just does not like it. She she is mm. frightened of her Klingon side. Uh, Troy tries to say it gives you strength. Uh, it's a part of you. And she says, that doesn't mean I have to like it, which is a really interesting conflict. Right. Do you think it informed her sort of cavalier uh, feelings of totally blowing up the Right, ship? she's the she's the worst envoy for this. Like, she's absolutely the wrong choice for this. A little self hate there. It's a good character study because it comes back later with uh, with Worf and then their relationship and how it ends up. And it, you know, she she confronts this in herself. I think. Uh, we our next scene. Uh, she shows up late to meet Worf. Uh, in a very skin-tight outfit and saying, sorry, she was late. She had to get beautiful for him. And he says, essentially, why? (laughs) (laughs) What? Why bother? We find out that it's been six years and that she thinks they never gave it a chance and that they have unfinished business. Behind them the entire time, flute porn music is playing in the background making things hot and heavy, and uh, Worf turns her down. What do we think of this initial part of this of this scene? Eric? I love the setting being in a teenage arcade in the 80s. <laughs> it looks like that. Like, the, the camera angles are, like, up, and it looks like Worf's just at a pinball machine, and she's next to the Slurpees, and it's hilarious. It's so filled with drama. I, I'm for it. I wanted it to be twice as long. I like that she got dolled up for a date that he didn't know he was on. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I like the way they meet out uh, the information in terms of what their past is. And even in this scene, you don't fully get it. We don't f- get the full story of sort of what their past was until they're post-smash uh, on, the, on the holodeck. But sort of these little nuggets of information... Um, you know, what we had was great six years ago. You know, this is, it's nice. It was not over overhanded as far as like how you're going to, we were dating for two months. And why did you, why did you break up with me by sending me a textual message over the subspace waves? Right. Like it wasn't any of that. It definitely felt natural. I actually still don't really know what their story was. I just know that they had a connection. It was some time ago. Maybe it was a fling. Maybe they didn't actually even consummate anything. They just kind of liked each other. I don't think they did either. I think they like, were on an assignment together and held hands once and it was awkward and they blushed and that's about it. They definitely didn't smash because we learned from this episode that uh, Worf is too prudish to, <laughs> to smash without it meeting. Uh, now we're bonded for life. Like We're married now. He really came across this yeah. episode as maybe the geek or the Klingons. You know, like he was in Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and <laughs> like the Young Christian Group, whatever equivalent that is in Klingon. <laughs> like he was that guy. He's like he never went out and, and drank a horn of ale or anything until it, until it was exactly the right age. Because <laughs> it was all wrong. Why are you describing me? <laughs> Well, we have this continued push and pull between them, um, not just the will they or won't they, but the uh, how many options do we have? She she doesn't want any more information on this sh- ship that has been lost. He thinks the more information that they can get, the better, until it reaches an impasse and she deuces out with a meeting adjourned, promptly gets off the lift and gets checked out by a passing uh, crew person. Cannot help but notice that 
skin tight outfit. And then she just cautiously, you know, casually comes in and breaks a table like you do. This felt like a moon landing episode, the way she like meeting adjourned, like kind of thing. And right. This, if, if you could slam a sliding door, she would have slammed that door. <laughs> there should be a setting for that. <laughs> Adolescent setting. It's just the computer yeah. voice that says slam. Yeah, <laughs> something. Let me get, help me get rid of some of this rage. She destroys that table though, man. That thing is gone. She destroys it, but it wasn't impressive only because we know now that the ship cleans itself. <laughs> cleans itself. It's going to turn around. There's going to be a new table there. You know, it's whatever. It'll just disappear. I like that Troy comes and just like flat out just like something wrong. Like just very much. <laughs> Very dry, you know, like, hey, something's wrong with your table. <laughs> I don't even have to be a beta Z to ch- ch- know that. <laughs> and I like that her advice is um, you get go exercise that out, girl. Good advice. Yeah, eat an apple. <laughs> Take an aerobics class. Uh, and, and thank God that she does because her exercise outfit is also amazing. Every yeah, she's she's rivaling Loxana Troy for me in this episode in terms of um, great outfits. Although hers are more of the skin tight variety, whereas Loxana is more of, of the cleavage inducing, uh, <laughs> mesmerizing variety. Where did she pack all of those clothes? That's what I want to know. It was not That's on the class A. Such a good question. Oh, the replicated. Yeah, it's all just from the replication. Oh, she's got her own, like, recipes? She was wearing six outfits. <laughs> she was wearing them in the same <laughs> Yes. Canon. <laughs> she's I... not only a badass emissary, she's a quick change artist. There it is. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. They're all uh... reversible. <laughs> and pockets. That's amazing. And pockets. <laughs> Uh, back on the bridge, Worf comes in all hot and bothered. Uh, Picard ordering him to relax. Uh, he is uh, not having it. Yes, Eric, there's a little bit of roid rage there. Yeah, does he do something to the crew member? Like when he comes on, I missed it. I just saw mm. the other crew members like look up like, what? You're relieved. What are you doing, says. Worf? Oh, it's your... Is it the way he said it, though? Yeah. My lieutenant growled at me. <laughs> right. What am I supposed to do? Right. Just because you're having a bad day doesn't mean you can take it out on me. <laughs> I will not be talked to that way. Uh, Riker has the great line. Great. Uh, the Iceman's finally melting. <laughs> it's a callback yes. to the poker game. Get it, you exactly, guys? Exactly. Yeah, he's he's good for those. Uh, but I liked it because I didn't I didn't really connect the uh, the cold open to Worf's journey during this episode until that line, and I'm like, oh, okay, there is a connection here, and I really felt it until you know, as cheesy as it is. I wrote that down like I didn't I played poker with my brothers and stuff when I was a kid, but I didn't really follow any of this as a theme, <laughs> like as an ongoing. I didn't make that connection. I was a very stupid child. <laughs> so as I as I rewatch now, it's fun to kind of see everything that had gone over my head and go, oh, it's a theme. <laughs> That's what I did in this one. Felt felt even dumber as a child. <laughs> <laughs> well 
let's not waste any more time and let's get to this fight. Let mm. us get to this fight with these amazing Skeletor creatures uh, and uh, feathered beastmen. What do we think of this fight, Eric? I think it's interesting for what it is. Like, again, I, I, I try to look at this from a family kind of situation. I know that I watched it with my parents and my brothers if they were home. And if I'd been six years younger, I still would have. So, like, I think they're trying to avoid any kid getting sheer terror from one of these aliens in fights. And and that way it worked. Like, the fights made sense. I was even surprised a couple times. She went one elbow under, and then I thought she'd go right to the flip, and instead she did another elbow under and turned around and punched, and I wasn't expecting that. Uh, so at least... And then, of course, the next time she did an elbow punch and then did the flip. <laughs> I was expecting the first time because you have an hour to rehearse and then you get one take, which is, again, what I assume happens to all of these. They're too simple. Uh, these actors are too professional and, and too good at what they do for it not to be just super fast. So uh, in that sense, I liked it like. Aliens will never understand that you should both attack if you're you're two people attacking one. <laughs> you shouldn't <laughs> wait for the other person to be down. There's no like advantage in that. Um, but beyond that, I, I enjoyed it. And what a weird looking villain. <laughs> I love the return of the Skeletor creature. I knew I knew they would have come back uh -huh. again uh, after we saw them in season one. They're really creepy to me. Even now, it really feels. Mm -hmm unsettling and then I, didn't, I don't remember the bird monster it almost looks like a movie monster from a horror movie that they just like oh yep get it in there and and reuse that <laughs> suit uh it's terrifying as well it was a nice way to get your blood pumping for what's to come yeah well <laughs> yeah level well, two we have the brilliant moment where after she's done fighting she says it's not much of a program and then the longest, most pregnant-filled pause before computer level two. And it is so filled with tension and sex and lust. And it's just, oh, it's beautiful. In a, in a like, three words from Worf. Like, that's what he's good at. He can deliver all of that in, uh, in just one of his snippy comments. And then they have a, a bigger fight, um, one where he totally slices that guy's shoulder off, which is pretty uh, badass move, I must say. Uh, what do we think of this duo calisthenics? Myself, I would have loved for them to just use normal swords. Like, you keep making these swords that look fake. And, <laughs> like, you know, more power to you. You made a sword. But, like, just use a, use a sword that, you know, maybe Klingon swords look a lot like human swords and then you can use something that looked like it might actually hurt or use that thing that that he often uses that is based on some other human weapon that's that long yes. curved yeah uh, yeah you use that uh which has already been established and looks terrifying as fuck this like it was fine it's again they got three three takes i'm sure but like I can't be afraid of something that looks like a thin sheet of aluminum, even though a thin sheet of aluminum would actually kill me. <laughs> it just doesn't look like it would. She's got that glove thing, too, that she puts on to start it. I was reminded of Code of Honor, right? Where, like, yeah. oh, that's the most yeah. terrifying weapon you can come up with is a, is a glove with a pointy stick on it. Yeah. It was awkward <laughs> to fight in it. 
Well, after this fight, we get to see Klingon foreplay, mm. which involves a lot of uh, forearm sniffing, uh, which was surprisingly hot. Right? Uh, and I here's why I think it happens. It's close combat, right? And, like, you're going to be, like, covered in the blood of your enemies mm. uh, when you go in for that visceral kill. And I feel like th- it's, like, the sniffing of the blood of your enemies on you that I, that I, the, the warrior in me smells the warrior in you. Namaste. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> I think you're mixing things up there. No, no, no. Maybe because you know you're right. I didn't even think about that. But the body chemistry of sweating makes people smell differently. But then you add in your combatant's blood mixed in with your own body chemistry. The only time you'll be able to smell that is post-fight, pre-coitus. You mean coitus? (laughs) (laughs) Then there's a lot of bleeding, though. What's with that? Yeah, the like the holding uh, of the hand and the holding it. Squeezing with the sharp nails into the stigmata. Not sexy. For you. (laughs) (laughs) Greg doesn't speak for me, everybody. I love stigmata. It's the thing I look for the most. (laughs) Hey, I grew up Catholic. It's a weird fucking place to be. You know. Just let me have my thing. Don't yuck my yum. Uh, unlike with Pulaski's smash, this one is pretty w- w- well certified. We come back from the break, and there's no sort of coyness about it. Like, it's, no, she's got a lucky strike in her hand. We just <laughs> exactly. And he has his uh, what is it? His little sash is off. Yeah. On the ground, yeah. Ooh. They have some uh, little verbal tennis about people who talk too much versus those who talk too little. Uh, and that enrages the blood, uh, emboils, emboiling the blood uh, <laughs> once again. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and then we get Worf the traditionalist. Uh, now that we have done the deed, we must get married. We are already married. Yes, we're already married because we had the smashing. It's not very progressive of him. No, oh, and uh, not not helpful <laughs> <laughs> to the situation at all. No, I think well, he actually loves her, though. I, that's, I do. Too. That's the thing. Is like he's he's such a dork, and I think he's like this is the first time I felt anything for a woman. That's it. I'm done. I'm never going to get anything. This is, this is the best it could ever be. Let's get married. Now now I want to see Worf do Halloween as Ducky from Pretty Things. <laughs> <laughs> He's always the friend. He's never James Spader or whatever. Uh, there's a great line where he says, uh, she says she will not take the oath. And then he says, then this night had no meaning. And I, that I will not believe. Again, they're poets. Those Klingons. And she is like, dude, it didn't mean nothing. Peace out. I'm out of here. Yeah. Right? And You're I my think... workout partner. She's... Yeah. 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 I mean, in this episode, she was like the 80s woman. And he was like the 1950s white man just clinging on to uh, a way of life that doesn't really make sense with what the young people are doing. Yeah. 
All that's missing is John Travolta coming in and saving her from him. <laughs> Sorry, that was a Look Who's Talking reference. <laughs> wow. In, in, in this, in this essay, in, in this essay, um, Worf is George Siegel, and oh, oh, oh. Um, yes, Sorry. I want to be Bruce Willis. Well, after the Greg she... is Bruce Willis. After she leaves, we go back to the bridge. I think only to reveal Diedrich Bader. Like, there's no reason for that scene to exist other than for all of us to go Diedrich Bader, and then the scene is done. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's that scene. In the meantime, Data gets called in to be a cooler again. Data mm. is really good. It's so funny. Uh, Worf brings him in. She calls him out saying, uh, is he here for analysis or is he here to chaperone? And then we get the definition Data joke again, where he doesn't think that chaperone is applicable here. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dana. <laughs> the Mariposa means butterfly. Have they completely thrown him aside yet with a thanks, Dana, and just moved on? <laughs> or do they always engage him? Because I think at some point, I would definitely thanks, Dana. Uh, she calls him out for only thinking of honor and not feelings. He calls her out for uh, being mean to his feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then we have a nice, uh, uh, I don't know, I, I like this I like this sort of post-awkward scene. Yes, data is very important. <laughs> well, I was, I was thinking, I was thinking kind of all of the awkward scenes between these two, both before and after Smash. Um, like, I think scenes like this in this kind of show that like sneak them into sci-fi or horror or mystery or the kinds of things that I was really into, I think it really affected my interpersonal relationships for, you know, my adulthood as nearly as much as family kind of role modeling did. And I, I don't think about it until I look back at stuff like this that I was watching at the time that I was starting to consider, you know, dating and you know, friends that I made out outside of the realm of my parents. Um, so I was thinking about that a lot while I was watching. When you had that first like real love, right? It is like a little yeah. bit like watching Worf fall in love for the first time and be like, how do you deal with that? He's, yeah. you know, 20, 25, I guess, in the canon of this. Like, you know, he hasn't. Yeah, how old so is funny. he? That's amazing. Right, somewhere in there, because he's gone through the academy's lieutenant. I would say he's like in the twenty-four or twenty-five, you know. So that mm -hmm. context, I was thinking about a lot too. My, I knew a lot of late bloomers in my life, uh, and uh, they acted like Worf did here, very much so. Well, and that puts their six years uh, very firmly in the the you know the academy, academy. years for them mm -hmm. too, which is really interesting. I didn't get the sense that she was an academy person. No, no, no. She but I, but I mean, Klingons, they were, right? they were in the teenage, you know, po yeah. late teenage years. It was uh, on an exchange. <laughs> uh, we jump cut to the conference room where we find out that hopefully we're going to be able to jump on board this uh, Klingon ship and keep them from waking up. But if that doesn't work, no big deal. We'll just slaughter them at all. Um, she has not come very far on this point. Uh, and Picard has not come very far on his sort of, there must be another way. Uh, 
sort of at that impasse. The long-range sensors pick up the ship. Hey, let's hear it for the long-range sensors being They're put always on, on. They're for always this episode. on at this point. You think a little bit that her emotions got the better of her in this meeting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's very much like, see you, Worf. You, look at what you're making me do. You're making me kill all these Klingons. <laughs> Did they ever have, like, a half Klingon, half Vulcan who just walks in that looks just like a human? <laughs> <laughs> You just blew my mind. <laughs> we did have a Klingon who looks totally human, though. In Disco. Ah. Uh, we, we finally pick up the ship. Data thinks that maybe they're asleep, and then they immediately fire, and Data says, I could be wrong. Uh, so Classic. Classic. Uh, the other ship cloaks, and she says, basically, you had your chance. We're, we're fucked. Mm. Uh, we're fucked. They're fucked. Everybody's fucked, fucked. Except Worf, who actually was fucked, is going to unfuck this. That's right. That's right. Uh, Jordy is able to find this other ship, Worf. <laughs> that was brilliant, Greg. Uh, <laughs> has an idea. And here... Help me out with this. Do they sort of chase after the ship, then flip around in front of them with their shields up? That was my version of what happened. Um, but they basically found them and made them face to face, right? Yes. Thank you. You got it exactly right. Thank you. I win. And the fact uh, that it was an old cloaking device that they were able to use, like some kind of loophole to get through. To, That's right. To find it out. Jordy figured that gamma out. Gamma radiation. It's always gamma. Right? It's the Hulk. <laughs> and Sasquatch. <laughs> they open all hailing frequencies, and who is sitting behind the captain's chair but Worf himself? Reading him the riot act about being a fool and yells at him to drop his shields. And he's wearing like faux fur. Yeah, what is this outfit? I love I love this outfit. Yeah, it's perfect. It looks like what uh, Michael Dorn wears in Star Trek Six, uh, a little bit as like the the Ooh. dress uh, attorney in uh, in that. Like, oh. it's, it made me feel like, oh yeah, this is what Warp is gonna look like. Oh, I forgot he was in that. Sorry. I love. There's just a lot of tension back and forth in this scene. Uh, Warp says, "Die in ignorance. I have more. No more time for you." Mm. Oh, come on, so good. And just like that, my friends. We see that Klingons can indeed bluff. I love this full circle. I do, I do, I do. That's so or beautiful. was he bluffing? Was it, this is the last chance. I hope I can help you out. But if you don't go with me, I'm going to blow you up. Ah, good question. So he had the winning hand all along? Is that yeah, right? it's like uh, you either surrender or you die. This is your chance, buddy. But there's certainly some deception involved in here because they clearly say, like, you. I, I found myself, like, trying to, look at the wording right where it's like i i think he says i am Worf in command of the enterprise not that he is captain of the mm. enterprise but he is currently right. in command and then when he transfers it back to picard picard's like oh so how'd you like your first command right like it was that like they had that moment beforehand um so he doesn't isn't actually lying he's just you know you know stretching the truth he's he's acting <laughs> yes his own little tiny stage 
With that voice, he's going to go far. <laughs> and we get another uh, end captain welcome to the 24th century. I feel like they're always welcoming people into the 24th century because they're always finding people who were asleep for a really long time. It's happened like three times. And then I, I like, he says, how do you like your command? Worf says, comfortable chair. Mm. Brilliant. Yeah. It really massaged his buttocks. Yeah, yeah. It has the seat warmers. <laughs> they don't know that. They don't tell you about that, about the captain's chair. It's got one of those, like, you know. No. You got to want it for the, the, the discipline of being a captain, not because of the butt warmers. <laughs> <laughs> you got to want it for the right reasons. I like K. Lars line of like, well, you wore it quite you well. well. Yeah. Your buttocks definitely <laughs> got to work out. You got buttocks on the brain, I think, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> fun to say and then we get our final really lovely scene where Worf takes her to the transporter room and we find out her she she says uh you know what you were right it did have meaning I I I was tempted to take the oath the flute porn music comes back into the background it was uh, uh Riker's playlist right oh hell yes <laughs> it's from the harp porn collection for yeah. sure <laughs> This scene is great. I love how Worf dismisses O'Brien too. Pretty much, and he's like, "Oh, go, gotta get out of here." And like, they have this nice little touching moment. And I love that she admits that she did have feelings with it, right? That she, yeah. The reason why she reacted so strongly was because she was scared at like the, that she almost did it, that yeah. she almost took that oath. That's a, a really powerful thing for being that age. Yeah. By the way, uh, the aforementioned. Chief Miles O'Brien is our last guest star of the episode, <laughs> Meany, who they still somehow have not added to the fucking main cast. No, he's in there. So check his him out, was, up and coming. His name was uh, Cole Meany all by himself, along with the rest of the cast. No guest star or anything, just Cole Meany. Well, okay then. <laughs> <laughs> and then our final line of the of the episode. Uh, is really is really beautiful, and Worf says, uh, "I will not be complete without you," which I this just was think is really beautiful. The first Jerry Maguire like Genesis line of 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 you complete me, right? I ship this. I I ship these too hard. Like I had forgotten <laughs> oh about God, this you episode. Just ship. I did. Oh, uh, with a plum. I well, did. I relation them. <laughs> <laughs> they're a great match it really is cool to see uh wharf on his uh, on his back feet here like right he's not really okay with uh with the emotions that he's feeling uh and he tries to do right by Kalar and got screwed again somehow but then they have this nice touching moment and i think the writers were definitely like let's investigate this further or not we'll just drop the <laughs> baby bomb on you in what season four i think right yeah <laughs> that's like episode 151 i i read in the nemesic files where she comes back and i think that's where alexander comes back right uh, yeah. that is right father <laughs> i accept your challenge father <laughs> i can't wait i can't wait well, uh, let's wrap this up. How do we feel about this episode by and large? Greg, take it away. I, I think I'm going to give this one nine and a half Klingon ships coming from the past. 
it is such a good episode. I enjoy going into a character that you don't see too much uh, uh, delved into and finding a lot about uh, uh, his past with Worf. Uh, and I like his relationship in the foil to Worf uh, and Kalar. I think uh, the both actors did a great job of portraying what was very alien right like it's not like how uh, a lot of love stories are, are told with fighting on the calisthenics and all that stuff but it also was very similar to those combative rom-com type moments uh when the, the you know romantic leads get together so i enjoyed all of those tropes being played with our expectations uh and it, it was a lot of fun with this great sci-fi background and showing off uh, Worf's relationship to different characters on the ship. Uh, it's just a its a great piece of of, of sci-fi and, and television. I really liked it. Excellent. Eric? Uh, well, I will, I will go one half down from Greg, and I will give it nine Klingon pairs of forehead abs. I think <laughs> it is a truly fantastic episode. I am, of course, always in love with uh, Kalar, and I think concentrating on the two of them is really nice. Like, you don't see these episodes very often yet. Later on, you get a lot of pairings where someone is struck, you know, stuck down on a planet alone with an alien or someone from their past. And, and the whole thing's about other people kind of tangentially trying to get to them. This feels like an early one of those episodes where it's really just about Kalar and, and Worf they're up to it it was it was really delightful I, I i want everything to be a morality play and their interplay is a morality play and it's it's just terrific so nine pairs of forehead abs good work <laughs> jimmy uh, i'm gonna give it eight and a half weeks <laughs> 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 uh it was a lot of fun Kilar is a great character she was acted brilliantly i love that she was exactly the opposite you know the yin and the yang thing to to wharf it's always great to get more wharf because he is the master at understated line delivery uh and um he doesn't try to overplay it he gives it exactly what it needs and it lands perfectly every time so it's fun to have a big old dose of wharf in there um i would have given it more um and the only thing i didn't like about it was something i i remember uh um thinking this when i saw it this is one of the few that i remember from the early days of watching is as soon as the love interest was introduced i knew it wasn't going anywhere because this is a bottle a bottle franchise and you're not allowed to have experiences outside of the people who are regulars really at least not for any long period of time like it's just it's so rare that a new character is brought in and actually a relationship can can grow from that it, um so it's those are always disappointed when you see it because you know it's i didn't know we would see her later um but it, it just felt like a dead end and it it's too bad because it was a fun road to be on excellent <laughs> that's a good one uh, and I'm going to give it uh, uh, nine super strenuous uh, calisthenics programs. Uh, I love this episode. Uh, I somehow did not remember this episode. Uh, you know, I, I think that I had, rem you know, I, I remember season four. I remember the sort of fallout from this. But this, the the finite, finite details of this episode had escaped my memory vaults, as it were. Uh, and it was just wonderful to watch. Again, 
I love that the big bad in this episode is sort of an unseen uh, until the last minute because it's it's secondary. It gives us stakes, but this really truly is a, a relationship episode, which can, as, as Eric said, be rare. And so there's something really lovely and pure about just getting to see these two individuals find their way back together, uh, even if only for a moment. Uh, and that brings us to the end of our episode. We hope that you will join us next week for uh, peak performance, both the episode name and we hope what we do for you. <laughs> now, if you will forgive me, these pants will not moisten themselves. So uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining our Cultural Bridge officers for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing the mission with another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We want to hear from you, our listeners. If you've got questions or observations, Halen frequencies are open. Email letsreengage at gmail.com, or you can follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek things. But you can follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on the gram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. The music is by the incomparable Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Riker's Beard to re-engage. Can someone explain to me? Since the long-range sensors sensors are on and they're saying what they've picked up from a long way away, when they put it on the screen, why doesn't it already have it large enough to see? They know what... Yeah. Like, why do you have to magnify... Like, it's... I get it. The long-range sensors, yes, but you want me to see it. Show it to me. Enhance. Sorry. Enhance. Bad coding. Enhance.